but it ended. All right. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord. And I just thank you for your love. What a great and awesome God you are. We thank you that you love us so much. Lord, I ask right now as we go to the Word that you would be our teacher. I pray that every single heart here would be prepared to receive from you. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We're desperate for you because without you we can do nothing. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a seat. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll be happy to loan you one. If you don't have a Bible at home or you like that one better, please feel free to take it with you as our gift to you. If you have your Bibles, turn to Numbers chapter 27. Continue our verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. Quick announcement. Um, I think this is long overdue. They are coming out with, it's not going to be for about 10 months or so, but they are coming out with a, a the, it's going to be called the Word for Today Bible. It's actually going to be a Bible with uh, notes by Chuck Smith. So that will be an absolute blessing. Amen? Amen? Looking forward to that. So, praise God. All right, Numbers 27. Now, I titled the message, and it's going to sound like an odd title, but I titled the message tonight, Finish Strong. And the reason that I did is we're going to look, again, intently at a man who's, been serve, who's now 120 years old, who's been serving God for 40 years, and is coming to the end of his life. But we're going to see that, that as he comes to the end of his life, and even though he's being disciplined by God, he remains faithful. Just to bring us up to speed, though, I want to tell you that, that Numbers, again, to me, has been a wonderful book for us to understand this wilderness journey that the children of Israel went through. The time between the crossing of the Red Sea and when they crossed the Jordan River to enter into the Promised Land. If you'll recall, they were in bondage in Egypt, and they were in bondage because of their own disobedience to God for 400 years. Then God delivered them out of bondage, and then they were encamped at Mount Sinai for about 13 months. During that time, they were given the law of Moses that taught them how they were to live. They began then to head on that trek to the land of promise. We've talked about this repeatedly, that that 11-day journey turned into a 40-year death march. And the reason that it did is because they became rebellious against God. They didn't want to hear what God had to say. They wanted to do things their own way. And they even began to murmur about wanting to go back to the very thing that they had been freed from. And sadly, there are many today that are looking for answers. And when they're given the answer and they're given the truth, too often they still want to go back to their old way of life that has done nothing but bring them harm and destruction. If you remember, they complained about having to march. Well, before they were slaves, and they were being beaten and making bricks all day, and now they're complaining because they're marching to the land of promise. You know, I thought about it, it's like like my kids complaining on the way to Disneyland in the car, you know what I mean? It's like, guys, it's going to be a few hours, but when we get there, I promise you, it's going to be worth it. And the reality is that these guys were headed to something much greater than Disneyland, especially in comparison to where they were coming from, but they began to murmur and complain. And it's a sign that they didn't really believe that there was a land flowing with milk and honey on the other end. If they really believed it, wouldn't they live differently? Wouldn't they have been a little more excited about it? 11 days, no problem. I spent 400 years in bondage. 11 days is a snap, right? But instead, they began to rebel and murmur. And then they complained about God's provision. They didn't like the manna. They wanted to go back to Egypt. So they became lazy and ungrateful and worldly and faithless, and they didn't trust God. So then when they finally did reach the land of promise, you know what happened. They got there, and they didn't want to go in, and they didn't believe it. They didn't trust God. They didn't want to enter into the land of promise. God said, this land belongs to you, and they said, well, let's go send some spies in to make sure that it's really what God says it is. 
And then 10 came back and gave a bad report, and 2 gave a good report, Joshua and Caleb. And they said, you know what, this land belongs to us, let's go get it. And you know what, they didn't listen to the 2, they listened to the 10. And too often in your life, you're going to have people that are trying to tell you things, in the, and the, those are, that with the ungodly counsel are going to outnumber those with the godly counsel more times than not. And so we got to chapter 26 a couple of weeks ago before I went to the pastor's conference, and we saw the reason that they missed out on God's promise. It was rebellion and unbelief for an entire generation. Remember that 603,550 men were numbered in Numbers chapter 2, and 40 years later, as they're getting ready to enter into the land of promise, how many of them are going to enter in? How many? Two. 603,548 of them died in the wilderness because they didn't put their faith in God. They didn't trust Him. They didn't believe Him. And again, they missed out on the, great, the greatness of the Lord. We then saw, remember Zimri and Cosby? You remember them? They got there. They're, they're getting ready to enter into the land of promise. And Balaam turns to Balak and says, hey man, I can't curse him. God won't let me. They're encamped in the cross, but here's what you can do. Go down there with some immoral women, women and get them to turn away from God and worship idols. And we know that 24,000 of them died because they did that, including one guy who was supposed to be a, a leader who just openly was with this ungodly woman who was, an, was again, a temple prostitute. And remember that there was a man by the name of Phineas, one of the priests, and what did he do? He took a spear and what? Threw it right through them. They got the point, right? He threw it right through them to, to say, look, it's not, God will not allow this ungodly act in this house. And so he cleansed them from the place. Dathan, Abiram, and Korah, remember they were promoting themselves. They were filled with pride. They wouldn't submit to Moses and Aaron. And what did God do? He opened up the ground and swallowed them up. Nadab and Abihu, remember, went into the Holy of Holies with strange fire, and God destroyed them. Now you look at this stuff and you think, man, God is a God of judgment. And you know what? He is. But He's only a God of judgment for those who continually reject His love, His grace, and His mercy because that is His nature. Amen? Our God is a God of love beyond what you can understand. Grace what you can even grasp. He's a merciful God. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. What is mercy? God not giving us what we deserve. Grace is Him giving us what we don't deserve. Heaven. Now, that's the God we serve. And sadly, though, most people miss out because they think they don't need Him. I don't need God. I can do things my own way. And sadly, the children of Israel are a picture of that. They didn't obey God. They didn't follow His commands. They didn't listen to His voice. They said, you know what? We're going to do things our own way. And because of it, the consequences were extremely heavy. So at the end of Numbers 26, we saw the tribes had been numbered. And preparations were being made for them to go into the land of promise. And they were going to be divided up by by the tribes. And that's why they numbered them, as we saw last time. And now this week, we're going to look at Numbers 27 as... God, again, is preparing them and working on them. We're going to see two things. We're going to see a group of young women come, and when these young women come, they're going to ask a question about the inheritance. And then second, we're going to see Moses raising up the person who's going to take over for him. But what I want us to see again is I want us to see the, the heart of Moses in the midst of this. This great man of faith. He's listed in God's hall of faith in Hebrews 11. I'm not going to have you turn there, but it tells us in Hebrews 11 that he was a man whose godly parents, by faith, defied the king's command and hit him in an ark. In verses 24 and 25, he said he was a man, basically, who would rather die with conviction than live with compromise. He says, you know what? 
I'm going to forsake the things of Egypt and all the riches of the world because they don't mean anything, and I'm going to follow the true and living God. It doesn't matter to me. This stuff is perishing. It's meaningless. We also saw that he was a man with an eternal perspective. Again, choosing spiritual reward over worldly riches. He was a man who did not fear men, the wrath of the king. He was a man who by faith applied the blood at the Passover. He was a man who passed through the Red Sea. And he was a man who, though he spent 40 years as a prince, it's been said that he spent 40 years as a prince learning to be somebody. Then he spent 40 years in the wilderness learning to be a nobody. And then God used him for 40 years leading the children of Israel to prove that God can use anybody. Amen? And he began as a somebody. God didn't use him when he was a somebody. God first allowed him to become a nobody. Allowed him to realize that, that he's not, it's not because of his great military strength. It's not because of his great wealth. It's because he was a man who was broken and willing to be used by God. Those are the people that God can use. If you remember when, the burning, when he came to the burning bush, I know it was a long introduction, but we're almost done. When he came to the burning bush, if you remember, the Lord spoke to him and said, I am that I am, and told him he was to go and deliver the children of Israel. And what was his response? I can't do it. I'm a what? I'm a stutterer. How can I be, how can I be the guy who makes speeches for you when I can't speak? How can I go and stand before these people? I can't do it. You know, those are exactly the people that God wants to use. God wants to use the men and women who say, I, I'm not worthy. The ones who say, man, God would be really fortunate to have me on his side. How sweet would it be for God if I was with him, right? And sometimes we even pray that, you know, if so-and-so would get saved, imagine what it would be like. If such and such an actor would get saved, if such and such a musician would get saved, if, if this person or that, you know what, God doesn't need athletes, musicians, he doesn't need presidents, you know, although we pray for all of them and their salvation. The reality is that the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro among the whole earth, seeking wanting to show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. He's just looking for someone who says, Lord, use me. And that can be you. And that can be me. I'm proof of it. Okay? God uses me and God uses you in spite of our frailty. So, we come to this chapter and we see this man. And we're going to see again as he comes to the very end of his life. And I want you to see some attributes to finishing strong in our walk with the Lord. How God can continue to use us. How God desires to continue to use us. So, finishing strong. First, we're going to see a question over inheritance. And Moses continues to go before the Lord to seek direction. And then we're going to see the appointing of the new leader of Israel that Moses was more concerned about people than he was about himself. Look at verse, chapter 27, beginning in verse 1. A question over inheritance. Then came the daughters... Now, this, thanks a lot for this name. Then came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer. Thanks for shopping, right? My mom... My, what's your dad's name? Hefer. What's your name? Zelophehad. Now, look at this. I think he takes it out on his kids because look at their names, right? So the son of Gilead, the son of Mashur, the son of Manasseh, from the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Terzah. Now, I'm going to pick on, on, on my assistant pastor right now. They're having a baby, and they wanted a biblical name, and I, I pointed out Hogla. I said, look, Hogla Bjorkman. How sweet will that be? And he's not going with it. I thought he was submitted to me, but I guess not. He just, he's just not having it. Now, we'll see here that this guy has these five daughters, and he has died. He's dead. And these five young women come because in the previous chapter, it said that when they went into the land of promise, only 
the sons would inherit the land. When a father died, only the sons would receive an inheritance. And these young women say, well, wait a minute. What about us? What about those of us who we don't have any brothers? Does our father's name die with him? Do we get no inheritance? And the reality is that the culture in those days would have said absolutely. But look at verse 2. And they stood before Moses, before Eleazar the priest, before the leaders and all the congregation, by the doorway of the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, but he was not with the company of those who gathered together against the Lord in the company with Korah. But he died in his own sin, and he had no sons. Now the first thing these women did right is where did they go when they had an issue to be dealt with? Does it say that they ran to all the other women you know, if you got three million folks, you got one and a half million women. Now, if one and a half million women came and had a problem with me, I, whatever you want, you know. But they didn't do that, did they? The, these five women, instead of going and, and complaining and gossiping, what did they do? They went to the tabernacle and they sought the priest and they sought Moses and said, here's the concern that we have. And what about us? And I love their heart. They made, again, that their, their heart was to go before the Lord to deal with it. And this is the very spot where public affairs were dealt with, where Moses would gather together. And it was great that they made their decisions at the door of the tabernacle. Because even now, who dwelt above the Holy of Holies? What was there? God's glory, right? The Shekinah glory of God. So when they were making decisions... They were making decisions in the light of God's glory. God's glory was right behind them. And no doubt it was lighting up the area where they stood. And as God's glory was behind them and they were making decisions at the door of the tabernacle, they were making decisions in the light of God's glory. May we all learn from that. May we learn to make decisions in the light of God's glory. Realizing that we're making them before Him. May your will be done, Lord. You're here, you're witnessing the decision I'm making. Lord, give me wisdom. And so these young women intercede with Moses because their father had died, and he didn't die in the rebellion, which means when Korah rebelled and he stirred up the men to go in against uh, Aaron and Moses, that he was not among that group. Although he was, as it says here, and I find this interesting, he was a man who died in his own what? Sin. The Jews knew that death was both the result of sin and the punishment for sin. How many people are sinners? All people. The Bible said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Some people say, well, man, I'm not a sinner. Well, we can certainly sit down and talk about that sometime, but the reality is, yes, you are. And, and, and if you take the Ten Commandments, I've done this on airplanes many times. I started sharing with I love airplanes because you get a captive audience. It's beautiful. I love like inter, intercontinental, Atlantic, you know, interatlantic flights, you know, or flying for, you know, 17 hours, buckle up. So, God bless, what? So what do you, you know, start talking, right? Where are you going? You got nowhere to go. I love a full flight because I can't even change seats, right? But here's the reality. You start, to, you start to talk to these people about the Lord. And I remember several people would tell me, you know, some of them were real excited to talk to a pastor. They found I was a pastor. Like, I've got questions for a pastor. I'm not in church or anything, so it feels pretty unassuming. But I've had several people tell me that they didn't think they were sinners. And I always found that amazing. Really. And I'd say, you know what? I, and I take however much money I got in my wallet, which isn't very much. I'm a pastor. I don't have much money. But I take the money out of my wallet, and I would put it down on the little tray, and I would say, 
I've got $57 or whatever it is, and I will give you every dollar I have if you will simply go through the Ten Commandments with me, and if there's one of the commandments that you haven't broken, I'll give you all the money. And they always go, oh, yeah, no problem. I'm down with that. They're already thinking of something. I didn't kill nobody. Yeah, I'm down. Okay, I'll do it. And you go through them, and what you find out is they begin to realize that, yes, I've put other things, other gods before me. The Bible says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. Thou shalt serve no graven images. Well, I've never had any idols. Well, have you ever had a possession that you love more than you love God? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to hold, keep it holy. Honor your mother and father. Right? And you start going through them. Have you always honored your parents? Well, no, I haven't done that. Have you always taken time and God given, given God the first fruits of your time? Well, no, no, I haven't done that. Have you ever taken God's name in vain, used His name for anything other than to worship Him or to tell others about Him? Oh, yeah, I've, yeah, I've done that. Have you ever had anything that you possess that was more important than God? Well, yeah, I've done that. And then you get to, thou shalt not kill. Oh, where's my money? I never killed nobody. Right? And you start to take the money. You say, the Bible says if you've had hatred in your heart, you've committed murder. You ever hated anybody? Oh. All right, well, now it says thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, I've never committed adultery. All right, well, the Bible says if you've ever lusted after another in your heart, you've committed adultery. Then, and here's the reality. It says thou shalt not lie. You ever told a lie? Yeah, I've lied. So even if they try to tell me they've never hated anybody, I say, well, you're a liar anyway, so I can't believe you, right? But the reality is that all men must first see that they are sinners in need of a Savior. And what we see here is that these women come and they don't try to make excuses for their dad. They say he was a sinner. He died in his own sin. He wasn't in rebellion with Korah, but he did die in his own sin. And the reality is that we will all die in our sin if we will not allow Jesus to take it for us. Amen? We are all sinners saved by grace. Not because of the good works we do, but the work that he did for us on the cross. And so these daughters came and, and brought this before Moses. Verse 4. Why should the name of our father be removed from among his family? Because we had no son. Give us a possession among our father's brothers. What these women asked for in the light of the culture of that day was both bold and really outrageous. Because as with other nations of that day, Israel was a strongly masculine society. Fathers left their property to their sons. The oldest son got two-thirds of all the property, and all the other sons split the other third. So if you had ten sons, the first son got two-thirds, and the other nine sons split the other third of your property. And these young women are coming in asking for something that, to that point, nobody on the planet, no women on the planet are getting any of, their, of this inheritance. What the daughters received in, instead was a dowry. When they got married, their father would give them a dowry, and that would go with them into their marriage, but often the son-in-law would end up having to, to pay a good portion of that himself. But they gave a dowry, and that was their inheritance, and then their inheritance would come from their marriage. But these women come, and they're asking for something that seems outlandish. And Moses could have very easily uh, just bowed to the pressures of the current culture and said, we don't do things that way. You know, wait till you get married, you'll get your dowry, go away. Right? And Moses, having been in charge 40 years, I don't think anybody, nobody would have said anything. Just go away. The guys probably would have went, yeah, get out of here, right? I mean, right? And so what happens instead, now watch this. I love this because he doesn't do things according to the world's standards. What does he do instead? Look at verse 5. So Moses brought their case before the Lord. This is a sign of a godly man who is finishing strong. What does he do? 
Now, God had told him in Numbers 20 that he was not going to enter into the land of promise. He could have just quit right there, couldn't he? I was walking with these people, these three million murmurers. I blow it one time, and now I don't get to go. Well, then I'm pouting, right? Right? Any of you ever done that before? Okay, Lord, that's it. All right, you won't let me be in charge, and I'm just not going to go. That's it. I got four kids at home. I know what it's all about, right? And the reality is that that's our Adamic nature. And praise God for Moses, that even though he'd been disciplined by God, was not going to enter into the land of promise. When these women came to him, he didn't try to pretend like he knew everything. Often when we've been in ministry a long time, or, or we've been walking with God for a long time, we think we've got all the answers. Well, I've been a Christian 45 years. I've got all the answers. Well, I'll tell you what, if you do, then you haven't read the Bible enough, amen? Because here's the reality. You can't have all the answers, and you must remain desperate for Him. And without Him, we can do nothing. And, and the, the more time that I am a Christian, the more I realize how little I know. Amen? The more desperate I become for God, the more I realize how I must trust fully in Him, and that without Him I can do nothing. And Moses, again, doesn't say, hey, you know what, ladies, get out of here. He didn't have all the answers. He sought the answers from the only place you can get the answers, from the Lord. Think you've got all the answers? You don't. Finishing strong, never stop turning to the Lord. Remain desperate for Him. Remember this, I say this all the time when I was a youth pastor, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Amen? And Moses didn't say, I've got it all figured out. He just said, I know who's got the answer. I'll be back. Right? And got on his knees and sought the Lord and said, Lord, what is your will concerning these women? I don't know the answer. Lord, I'm going to go and find out, and then I'm going to deliver back to you what the Lord tells me. How well do you know him today? It's not what you know, it's who you know. You know what, can I say this too, and this is going to sound odd coming from your pastor because you know how much I love the Bible. You can know the Bible forward, backward, and sideways, but you had better know the Jesus Christ that the Bible points to more than you know the Bible. Amen? The Word of God is the point to the God of the Word. Amen? Now, I hunger and I love God's Word because it helps me better understand the God of the Word. And it gives me a deeper, more intimate relationship with Him because this is His love letter to me. This is how He explains His nature and His heart and His desire and His passion is leading for my life. But I'm not in love with the Bible. I'm in love with the God of the Bible. Amen? And I do love His Word, but I love it because it points to Him. I love pictures of my kids, but I don't love the picture because it's, you know, I don't love the material that the picture's made out of. I love it because when I look at it, I see my children, and it blesses me. And I love this book not because of the paper or the binding or anything else, but I love it because when I look at it, I see my Savior, and I get to know Him better, and He leads and guides and directs my life, amen? And so I love that Moses, though being disciplined by God, was not ashamed to say, you know what, I don't have the answer. I'm not going to pretend like I know everything. I'm going to go and seek the Lord. I'm going to seek His face. I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to come and tell you what He tells me. Man, I love that. Again, instead of... And you know what? Our courts and judges today can learn from this. Amen? Instead of trying to kick Jesus out of the court, they ought to get on their knees in the court and pray and ask Him for direction. Instead of acting like they've got all the answers, amen? Because they don't have any. Makes me mad. Gets me red, as Pastor Bill would say, right? I mean, it just, I don't like, when, when, they, 
we vote on something and they just turn it over. Oh, well, we're going to take God out of there. Here's the good news. God is still going to be God no matter how many courthouses take him out of there. Amen? And God's still in charge. He's still in control. He's still faithful. And you can't vote him out of office and praise God for that. Amen? And so we see here that they turn to the Lord. And I love this. He turns to him when he prays and he seeks God's wisdom and God's will for these women. Verse 6. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, The, daughter, the daughters of Zelophehad, Spoke, speak what is right. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among their father's brothers and cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, if a man dies and has no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughters. I'll tell you what, this sent shockwaves through Israel. When he came out and said, guys, here's the deal. The girls are right. And what we're, here's what we're going to do. When a guy dies, if there's no sons... We're going to give all the stuff to his daughters. And I love this because, you know, one of the things that the world tries to say is the world tries to say that Christianity oppresses women. Ever heard that before? It's a male-dominated Bible. The Bible's full, you know, men are in charge. Women are supposed to submit. And women are to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord, Right? If I'm submitting to the Lord and loving my wife as Christ loves the church, it's not hard for my wife to submit to me. If I walk in the house with an iron fist saying, sit down, shut up, and submit, woman, that doesn't work. (laughs) Not real effective. And she shouldn't submit to that anyway. Amen? But what we see here, I love this, is that no other culture on the planet was doing this. And he went to the Lord, and the Lord said, you know what? If they don't have sons, you you give it to the women. And what I love about this as it says in Genesis or in Galatians 3, that God has made us neither male nor female. Our Savior is an equal opportunity Savior. Amen? And the women in that day were treated like cattle. They were bought, they were sold, they had no rights. Who was the first one to give rights to women? God was. Amen? He's the one that, that created them. He's the one that loves them. And, I, and I, you know what? If you're a college student, I want to encourage you with something. This would be a great project because they paint Christianity as being something that puts down women. You go to every society where the gospel has been brought and preached, and you will find women who have a greater amount of freedom and rights than anywhere in the world. And you go to a place where God, the gospel is shut down and quieted, and you will find women who are oppressed. That's a fact. Go to a Muslim nation sometime. They got a lot of freedom over there, or what? How's that working out? Go into a tribe out in the middle of the... How, a lot of freedom? I don't think so. The gospel brings freedom, amen? And, I, and it kills me when you hear these professors get up and say, well, Christianity is a... Don-. No, uh, have you read the Bible? Have you looked at the countries where the gospel is being preached? Have you seen what God does? He loves men and he loves women and he is an equal opportunity savior. And the proof, again, is in those countries where they are... They, again, there's not oppression. Other places, they're like second-class citizens or lower. And so we see here that he comes out, and he's not worried about what men think. He's not worried about what people think. He just delivers what God said. And do we need more of that today? Amen? He doesn't say, well, God said I'm supposed to give it to the women. The guys aren't going to like that much. We better vote. I'm thinking we should vote. That's what we should do. Let's vote. You know, well, women, you lost, right? And here's the reality. Again, if God says it, then that's what we're going to do. Amen? And that he is the head of the church. Not the pastors, not the elders, not the men, not the congregation. We don't vote. It's God's word. That's the answer. Amen? And so praise God. He turns and he gets the word from the Lord and he delivers it to the people with great boldness. 
If he has no daughter, verse 9, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. So if he doesn't have any children, no sons or daughters, then the inheritance goes to his brother. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers, so his uncles. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to relative closest to him in his family, and he shall possess it. And it shall be to the children of Israel a statute of judgment, just as the Lord commanded Moses. What I love about this is these women came with a concerned heart. They brought it before the Lord. Moses turns to God, seeks God's will. Not only does he come back with instruction for the women, but other instruction for all of Israel on how they're to inherit land. And I love that. But again, I want to talk about Moses. Moses' days are numbered. And what kind of man is Moses being right now? He's being faithful, isn't he? He's not worried again about what men say. He's not pouting. He's not angry. He's not complaining and murmuring against God. He knows God's righteous and what God does. And he says, Lord, I trust you. And Lord, I want to finish strong. And he continues to seek the Lord for direction. He remains desperate for him and pursues God, not the popularity of men. You know, God owned the property that Israel inhabited. And when Israel was disobedient, God would take their land from them. Remember later, they were disobedient and God allowed them to be taken captive into Babylon. The land is the Lord's. And if they were good stewards with it, God would bless them. And if they were disobedient to Him, He would take the land away from them. You know, whatever gifts you have, use them for God's glory and He will continue to give you more. And I'm not talking about finances now, okay? What I'm talking about is you just be faithful to use the gift God's given you and He will continue to use you. And if you don't use the gifts God's given you, you take that talent and bury it in the sand, it's of no value to the kingdom. God saved us to use us for His glory. And God wants to use every single one of you. And you know what? As your pastor, if you come to me and say, I've got a burden to do this, I'm going to help you do it. Amen. You ask anybody in this church, I've I got a burden. Okay, let's help you do it. Let's see if God's behind it. Amen? Because you know what? We want to see God do great and awesome things here in Santa Cruz County. So second, we're going to look at the anointing or appointing of the new leader over Israel. And again, we're going to see the pastor's heart of Moses, who's more concerned about the people than he is about himself. Look at verse 12. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go up into this Mount Abiram and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. Now this is a huge mountain range, about 50 miles long. On it was a mountain called Mount Pisgah, and on the top of it was Mount Nebo. And we know that when he dies in Deuteronomy 34, he's going to be standing on the top of Mount Nebo, and he's going to be looking out at the land, and that's where he's going to die. Moses is going to look into the land of promise, but never enter into it. And we're going to find out why he didn't enter in. Look at verse 13. And when you have seen it, you shall also be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother was gathered. What is he telling him? Moses, you're about to what? You're going to die. Moses, you're going to be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother was gathered to your people. It was only a few months away that this would come to fruition again in Deuteronomy 34. And God tells him ahead of time that he's going to die. Now there's a key words I want you to see here. It says he will be gathered to his people. Who are Moses' people? Aaron, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Men who love the true and living God. Can I tell you something? Your people on earth will be your people in eternity. The people that you hang out with now, the people that you, you seek counsel from now, the people that you gravitate to now are the people that you will spend eternity with. Now, what do I mean by that? If you're walking with the world and living like the world and chasing after the world and pursuing the things of the world, you're going to spend eternity with those folks. And it's not going to be pretty. 
You think, you talk, you think global warming's a problem, okay? All right? This is eternal warming, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the reality is that it's God's desire that none should perish, no, not one, but you look at who you're hanging out with, and that's who you are. When I was a youth pastor, again, I used to tell the kids, you want to know what kind of person you are? Look at the people you're hanging out with. You look around, and all the people you hang out with are, are arrogant and look down on people and self-right. That's probably you. If you look around, and all the people you're hanging out with are partiers, and, well, then you're probably a partier. And if you look around, all the people you're hanging around with, and the same is true of us. You know, we gravitate towards those who are like us. I want, man, I want to hang out with you. You know, I meet people that are on fire for God, and I just can't wait to hang out with them. I was at the pastor's conference last week, and I'll tell you, my favorite week all year, I'm with over a thousand senior pastors from all over the world, and just sitting at dinner with eight other guys who are pastoring churches all over the world, just for two hours talking to these guys is a blessing. And by the time we're done, man, it's just like we're the closest friends. Why? Because we got Jesus in common. When you got Jesus in common, you got everything in common. They say blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. Amen? Amen. And we're going to be gathered to our people. So we better start loving on each other because you're stuck with each other. Amen? You're going to be hanging out with each other forever and ever, so let's get along now. Amen? And I'm looking forward to just being around the throne forever. And my heart would be that we'll all be there. Amen? Amen? All of us. Every single one of us with the true and living God. We'll be gathered to our people. Your people on earth will be the people that you you spend eternity with. Now, why is it that he's going to die before they enter into the land of promise? He reminds them as if he needs to hear it. But he reminds them. Look what it says. For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to hallow me at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah, which means dispute, at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. So in the wilderness of Zin, if you remember what happened, in Numbers chapter 20, the people had no water, and what did they start to do? What did they love to do? Whiners, right? The three million whiner club. That was the children of Israel. That's all they did. They're just a moan and complain group, right? And so they start moaning because they don't have any water. And Moses is told by God to go out and to speak to the rock, and the rock will pour forth water to take care of the people. Now the people start murmuring against Moses. If only we had died in Egypt. Why did you bring us out into this wilderness to die? Oh, right. A lot of fun folks to hang out with. All right. And so Moses and Aaron, what do they do? And I love this again, showing that he's a man. Back, even back then, he, he fell on his face before God and he sought God's will. And God said, now I want you to go speak to the rock. And when you speak to the rock, water's going to come out and it's going to take care of the people. Now Moses, we know, blows it. And what does he do? Because speaking to the rock is a picture of God's grace. These guys are murmuring and complaining. Do they deserve anything? Well, yeah, they do, but what they deserve, they don't want, right? They deserve, right? But God's not going to do that to them. He's a gracious God. And so God, and they're murmuring, they're complaining, they're whining, they're moaning against God. He says, I want you to go out there and speak to the rock and just bless them. Picture of God's grace, right? And what happens instead? Moses, in his flesh, in frustration, can't take it anymore. Forty years of whiners, I'm done, right? I can't take it. And I have to be honest with you. He does a lot better than I would have done under those circumstances. Do you remember twice the Lord told him, you know what, Moses? How about I smoke them all and just start over with you? Do you remember that? And Moses goes, no, Lord. I'm like, bro. I'm thinking that's a good plan, right? I've heard it's better to you know, start a church we, like we did here than take over one that's filled with whiners. Can you imagine a three million whiner church? 
Let's just start over. But he didn't do that, and God was testing his heart. And Moses said, no, Lord, you take me instead. Lord, he'd wanted to die in their place. But here he gets frustrated. And here he gets in his flesh for a moment. And what does he do? He misrepresents God's heart by revealing anger instead of graciousness. And here's what he says. Here now, you rebels. Must we bring water to you out of this rock? Must who bring water to you out of this rock? He says, must we bring water to you out of this rock? So he's not only portraying God as being angry, he's taking some of the glory as if he has something to do with it. Must we bring water to you rebels out of this rock? And then he takes the rod that's in his hand and he turns and he smotes the rock twice and water pours out of it and blesses the people. And then God says, okay, Moses, because you've done this, you will not enter into the land of promise. Why was God so heavy on Moses for doing this? Let me tell you why. First of all, the rod is a representation of the cross. The the rod had already struck the rock earlier. The rock is a picture of whom? Jesus Christ. And since Jesus was on the cross how many times? Once. That's why I don't wear him on a cross anymore. He's not on the cross. Amen? He's a risen and living Savior who's triumphed over sin and death. He's not on the cross anymore. And now he's dispensing grace to all who will simply ask of him. Just like he says here, speak to the rock and he will dispense his grace. Speak to the Lord and say, Lord, please forgive me for my sin. And he will pour out his Holy Spirit, torrents of rushing living water, upon us and we will be saved. That's what the Bible tells us, right? And what he does instead is he shows anger. God's angry at you. And sadly, there's so many people in the world today because of the way that some, quote, Christians portray him, that think God is angry with them. You know, you walk by and you'll see guys standing on a box with a blowhorn just screaming at people. You're going to pray! Well, I, I don't see, I've never seen anybody get repenting at one of those boxes ever. Have you? You ever see a bunch of people standing around going, oh, amen, bro, preach that. Let me hear that. Let me hear some more of that. Right? You're going to fry! Oh, okay, that sounds great. Bring me some more, right? That doesn't happen. What people need to hear is, you know what? The Lord loves you. Amen. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And all of sin comes short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent not His Son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. People need to hear the message of God's love, His grace, His mercy, and His forgiveness. Amen? Now, they need to understand they're sinners before they'll see their need for a Savior, but it's kindness that leads people to repentance. Not anger and bitterness. And God said, you know what, Moses, you've misrepresented me to three million people right now. And because of that, you will not enter into the land of promise. Because you did not believe me to hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring the assembly into the land which I have given them. The people were thirsty, and Moses got angry. May we not respond to people's thirst for spiritual truth with anger. I was watching a TV show not too long ago, and there was a person on there was a Christian. It was a, one of those reality shows. It's supposed to be a Christian, and they're, fight, they're just screaming at each other, and the girl stops her in the middle of it and goes, you know, for someone who's supposed to be a Christian, I thought you'd be a lot nicer. And I went, ooh, ow, ah, that's, that hurts, amen? When you get rebuked by an unbeliever, does that hurt or what? Oh, I thought you were a Christian. I just thought you'd be a lot nicer. Oh, right? And the reality is that as believers in Christ, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. It's not anger 
and envy and jealousy and malice. And sadly, too many Christians, we portray our, our God as being a God of anger and we portray Him as not being a God of love and grace and mercy because we walk around without any joy. And we walk around trying to keep a bunch of rules. Well, if I keep all these rules, then God's going to love me. No, 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 God loves you. Amen? Should we walk in holiness? Absolutely. But we don't walk in holiness so God will love us. Because He loves us and He's come to live inside of us, now we can walk in holiness. Amen? And so God desires that we be set apart and, and not be like the world, but we need to let them know that God loves them. They need to see it. And they just experienced it. The people were thirsty. Moses got angry. And may we not respond in anger, but in love and in grace. And no doubt we can relate to Moses' frustration. People had experienced so much of God's blessings. They'd been freed from bondage. They'd seen the miracles. You know, they, they were marching through the Red Sea. That would get my attention. How about you? There's the ocean, the sea opens up, and you're just walking through, looking at these waves. I'm thinking, I'm, now, they, this is the next generation, and they were younger, but if I was 10 years old, I'd remember that. Wouldn't you? They saw God just with the plagues. They saw God dropping manna out of the sky. His Shekinah glory was dwelling above the tabernacle. It led them everywhere they went. They saw God's grace, and what did they do instead? They murmured, and they complained, and they didn't believe, and they didn't trust Him. And I can understand Him being, again, frustrated. And yet, they continued to rebel. But you know what? Moses also, here's something I thought about today. Where did Moses spend 40 years before he went Forty years in what? In the wilderness. And what, how did his wilderness experience work out? Really good. When he went into the wilderness, he was a man of great stature, and after 40 years, he was a man of great humility. He went into the wilderness, and he was a man who needed to, be, to grow, and he had grown. He became a shepherd and tended sheep. He went from being a prince in Egypt to a man who watched over animals and made sure that animals wouldn't, that they wouldn't be attacked. And, and God did a great work in him in the wilderness. And he may have even thought in himself, you know, my 40 years in the wilderness, man, I grew. And I learned. And I'm closer to God. These guys 40 years in the wilderness, they're worse off than when they started. And the same can be true of you and I. When we go through trials, we can come out the other side closer to God, more conformed to His image, or we can be bitter against God. Amen? You can be like the children of, in the wilderness and complain and murmur and not trust God. Or you can say, okay, Lord, you're sovereign. You're in control. I'm in this wilderness because you put me here. I trust you. And Lord, when I get out the other side, may I be more like you. The Bible says in James chapter 1, to count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. Because through those trials, it produces patience. And it can, again, it also conforms us more to his image. They hadn't become humble, they'd become more defiant. Moses had walked away from the riches of Egypt. How much of Egypt's riches could have been his? Pretty much all of them, right? He was a prince. And he walked away freely, left it. And they wanted to go back to the bondage in Egypt. He walked away from the riches, they wanted to go back to the bondage. No doubt he's frightened. Man, what is up with these people I got in my church? What's up with these three million people? They're whining. They want to go back to Egypt. I left it. When I was in the wilderness, God met me there. I was drawn closer to Him. I know Him better now. They're murmuring more than when they came. I'm done with these guys. Where's that stick? Right? And they smote the rock. And we can understand His frustration, but we must also recognize the fact that what He did brought harm to the name of, of, of the Lord because it made Him come across as an angry God, a bitter God, a vengeful God. And that's not the God that we serve. 
I'm going to die in the wilderness because I made one mistake. That's just not fair, God. Can't you hear him saying that? But he doesn't say that. Wouldn't it make sense for him to say that? Lord, 40 years, I, I led these moping whiners around, and now I make one mistake, and I don't get to go? And all the whiners do, right? The whiners are going in, and I'm staying out here. Now, that just doesn't seem right. But again, praise God that he finishes strong. He doesn't say, look at all I've done. He doesn't say, that's not fair. But look what he does, verse 15. Then Moses spoke to the Lord and said, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. Man, I love this. I love this because Moses doesn't murmur about him missing out. Moses doesn't say it's not fair that I don't get to enter in. Moses instead looks out at these three million whiners, that this, these people that he loved, because God gave him a love for him. He says, Lord, set up a man to watch over them. If you're going to take me away, Lord, then, then Lord, would you bring someone to take my place to love them, to bless them, to watch over them, to lead them? May they not be sheep without a shepherd. Did he know anything about sheep without a shepherd? Where did he spend 40 years? And he knew that sheep without a shepherd would face slim provisions of food and water. They would never be led where they were supposed to go. And they eventually would die because animals would come in and attack them. And do you know that God still wants sheep today to have a shepherd? It hasn't gone away. Who is the good shepherd? Jesus. The ultimate fulfillment is Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd. He was prophesied of in the Old Testament, revealed in the New Testament. And again, he says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. In an additional sense, in the Bible, this is also fulfilled by the office in the New Testament of pastor. The word pastor in Greek, you know what the word is? Shepherd. That's what it is. Pastor is to shepherd the sheep. How does he shepherd the sheep? He feeds them and he leads them. Just like a shepherd does. Now, Christ is the head of the church. It says in 1 Peter 5, 4 that Jesus is the chief shepherd and the pastors are the under-shepherds. So He is the authority and we are the chief servants in the church. That's what the pastors are called to do. And we will be accountable one day for how we have fed you and how we have lived before you as an example. Now, I'm not your example to follow ultimately. It's always Christ. Amen? Because you follow me too closely, you're going to be disappointed. All right? But the reality is, again, as a pastor, I will be accountable to feed and to lead. And sadly, again, there are too many churches today that don't have a shepherd. And it breaks my heart. They have CEOs. They have guys with degrees from a seminary. But they don't feed nor lead their sheep. They got a gig. They get up on Sunday. They do what they're supposed to do. They go home. They don't teach the Word. So the only thing I'm supposed to feed you is this. Amen? The Bible says we desire the Word of God more than our necessary food. So I'm not to feed you my opinions on Sunday or Wednesday. I'm not to get up here and give you the philosophies according to Dave. Right? You don't need me to get up here and talk about fishing trips and all this. You know what? I'm to give you God's Word. Amen? Because this is what will transform your life. And sadly, too many churches today don't have shepherds. They have something else. And they don't have anybody who feeds the sheep. You know, Jesus was moved with compassion in Mark chapter 6. And what did he say? He looked at the people, and his heart was broken because they were as sheep without a shepherd. His heart broke for him. 
And you know what? Moses is reflecting the Savior's heart when he says, Lord, it's not fair. He didn't say that. He said, Lord, bring someone to take care of these people. Bring someone to shepherd them, to lead them, to care for them, that they would not be sheep without a shepherd. We're almost done. And again, this is the heart of a true shepherd. What's the heart of a true shepherd? He's more concerned about the sheep than himself. If you ever find a pastor that's more concerned about himself than the sheep, that guy needs to go. And if I ever find a pastor on our staff that's more concerned about himself than the sheep, he's going to go. That's my promise to you, all right? Because the reality is, you don't, become, you don't get into ministry for yourself. You get into ministry for the Lord and to bless those that God has given you to care for. Amen? And if you're, if, can I encourage you with something? If you're working in a three- and four-year-old class on Sundays, will you, be pray, you need to be praying for them throughout the week. And you need to go in there saying, how can I minister to them? Not how inconvenient this is for me, but how can I minister to them? Amen? You go in there thinking, all right, Lord, you're going to use me to minister to these kids. I, I'm not worthy. Praise the Lord. And pray for those kids, and you go in there to give, not to get. Too many people are looking to get from ministry. Well, I want to do it, but what is, what's in it for me? And, and I love, you know, Gail Irwin says that ministry, the word for ministry is better translated slavery. And he said, but if we had schools of slavery, nobody would sign up, right? And the reality is, but that's what a pastor's heart should be. More concerned about the sheep than he is himself. And that's exactly what you see here from Moses. He's not murmuring. He's not complaining. He says, Lord, take care of them. I know that by righteous judgment, I don't deserve to enter into the land of promise. So, Lord, my judgment is, is righteous and holy. But, Lord, for the sake of the people, will you take care of them? Lastly, look who they raise up. And the Lord said to Moses, form a search committee. Is that what it said? Get 12 people together and listen to 1,000 tapes. That's not what he says, is it? What does he say? And again, sometimes you have to do that. But look what it says here. Take Joshua, the son of Nun, he wasn't a Catholic, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Where did Joshua come from? Where did Joshua get his training? Who's he been hanging out with for 40 years? Moses. Joshua was, in all intents and purposes, Moses' assistant pastor. Is that what he was? When Moses went on Sinai, Mount Sinai, who went with him? Joshua. Joshua. Sat down at the bottom and waited 40 days for him. Everybody else is partying, out of control, golden calf, and where's, where's, where's Joshua? I'm waiting for Moses. Right here for him. When he gets back, then I'll go. But I'm not leaving until he does. What else did we see him doing? He fought the Amalekites and defeated them. He ministered to Moses, even as a servant faithfully serving him for over 40 years. But look what the key word is here, and this should be a key whenever you look for a pastor, you look for someone in ministry, look what it says here. In whom is the what? The Holy Spirit. I don't care how many degrees you have after your name, if you don't know how to have the Spirit of the living God living inside of you, it will account to nothing. Too often today we're looking for Pharisees when we ought to be looking for apostles. Amen? In Acts chapter 4, it said they marveled because they were untrained men, but they had been with Jesus. And too often today, churches are looking for somebody that's got a THD and a bunch of letters after their name and say, well, he's got all these degrees, so he must be called. God does not call the equip. He equips the called. Amen? Well, what you want is calling, Spirit of God upon somebody. And I promise you, you can sit down and talk to somebody for 15 minutes and you'll know it. And too often what happens is, it's, well, what kind of degrees do you have? What kind of experience? Where's your background? There was no interview process here. They turned around and went, there's the assistant. 
And you know what's amazing to me? Joshua was not striving for this position. He never wanted it. He was just being faithful to do what God called him to do. And then they turned around one day and said, bro, you're up. Can I tell you what's going to happen? If I get hit by a bus, one of the assistant pastors is taking over this church. We are not forming a search committee, period. You understand that? Why? These people know you and they love you. Amen? They already have a relationship with you, and if they're here, they're called. Amen? And God's hands on them, and we're not going anywhere. This is it. And so if I get hit by a bus, that's it. That's the deal. You get, you're stuck with one of the assistant pastors, all right? And praise God. They're all God, godly men, and the great thing about it is you could pick any one of them, and they would all work. And that's the way it ought to be in the church today. And Moses had this guy Joshua follow him around for 40 years. And Joshua was in pastoral training and didn't even know it. And then the time came and the Lord said, there he is, right behind you, turn around. Set him before Eliezer the priest, before all the congregation, and inaugurate him in their sight. So what did he do? He said, turn around and commission this guy. Lay hands on him in front of everybody so they know that this is the guy. Call him up front. This is the first ordination right here, right? Call him up, lay hands on him, and say, this is the guy that God has called. And that's exactly what we do when we ordain pastors here. All we're simply saying is God already called him. We're just recognizing it. Moses didn't call him. God did. Amen? God said, go get Joshua. He's the guy. He's the one you want. Verse 21, 20, excuse me. And you shall give some of your authority to him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. I looked up the word some here. And over time, what it means is that he began, even that day, even though Moses had several months more to live, he began that day to start giving his authority over to Joshua. More and more of it. And as he gave it away, he was preparing Joshua for, to be the man that God had called to lead the children of Israel. And he's giving the ministry away. One of the things I love to do here with our assistants is I love to give, them, give ministry away. Because I want, as God would call them out to go and start churches someday, and I believe there's several guys that are here that will go do that, I want them to have experienced everything that it means to be a senior pastor as possible. Give them opportunities to counsel people. Give them opportunities to teach the Bible. Give them opportunities to do all those things so when they go out, they're ready. And that was what happened with Joshua. He was ready. Why was he ready? Because the Spirit of God was upon him first and foremost, and he had been given opportunities to do ministry. Last three verses. He shall stand before Eliezer the priest, who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim. As his word they shall go out, at his word they shall come in, and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation... So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him just as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. I love this, that Moses was obedient to the end. God said, I want you to go inaugurate this guy that's going to take your place. And he gets to go in and you don't. And Moses didn't went, that's just wrong. He didn't do that, did he? Moses said, yes, Lord. This guy was a faithful servant to the end. He finished strong. He didn't stop serving God because he had missed out because of his own disobedience. He continued to serve and to honor the Lord. He wasn't bitter. He was obedient. He continued to go to the Lord for direction. He was more concerned for others than he was for himself, and he helped raise up a successor. Can I tell you, that's the heart of a pastor right there. Let me repeat that. He continued to go to the Lord for direction. We all should do that, amen? And especially those of us who are ministering to others. Was more concerned about others than he was for himself, heart of a pastor, and helped raise up his successor. Pastor Don McClure in San Jose used to tell me, Dave, success of a ministry is not how it functions when you're there. 
but how it functions when you're not. Because it's not about you. And you should be able to remove me and have this church just keep going because it's not about me, it's about Him. Amen? And God's raising up others with those gifts, so I need to be giving that stuff away and preparing people for whatever happens because God is in control and God is faithful. Moses finished strong. He remained faithful in difficulty. And remember this lastly, Moses was a representation of what? The what? Five books of the what did he write? The law. And Moses could not get them into the promised land because the law cannot save you. Right? You, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you try to keep the law, it cannot save you. And Joshua's name can also be transliterated as what? Jesus. Moses could not, the law could not bring them into the land of promise, over the Jordan River into the land of promise. So Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus did. What a clear picture for us, amen? That the law cannot save us, but Jesus our Savior both can and will if we will simply ask Him. Speak to the rock, and He'll pour out His Spirit upon us, amen? We don't have to strike the rock, just speak to the rock. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You for Your Word. We thank You for these clear pictures in the Old Testament of our Savior. And we thank You for Your grace that we do not have to strive and struggle, but Lord, by Your grace, You'll love us. We simply speak to the rock and You pour out Your Spirit upon us. Lord, I pray as we have Your Spirit upon us that, Lord, we would walk in holiness, that we would be set apart from the world, that we would not compromise our faith. But, Lord, we can't do it without You. Lord, just pour out Your Spirit upon us. Help us to love You and to serve You and to be salt and light to a lost and dying world that so desperately needs You. Lord, we love You. We praise You. We worship You. We thank You for Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Stand and worship.